John chapter 15 from verse 1. Uh, we will do two parts to this because uh, the, the passage is quite long and I can't fit into one. So <laughs> let's, let's hope we finish on time. Okay, so um, I was wondering, anyone here ever seen the film Toy Story? Yeah? I, I assume every, may, most, at least, most people would have seen the film Toy Story, right? Because, uh, well, it spans in around about 25 years now, right? The first one came in 95. Can you imagine? 95, right? Sorry? <laughs> wow. There you go. Yeah, the first one came on 95. And then they, they, they made three more films after that. And who can maybe, can someone maybe just shout, what do you think the film was about? Uh, toys that came alive when uh, their owners are gone. Toys that came alive when their owners are gone, yeah. Okay. Anyone else want to give it a stab, what, they, what, what their impression of the film was? Yeah, I, I think they, they all kind of follow the same pattern, right? They all kind of follow the same pattern. But one thing that I definitely noticed when I was uh, watching Toy Story is that they, they might as well have called the film Toy's Purpose, right? Because a lot of, uh, much of the film really is this, uh, just trying to figure out what their purpose is, you know? So if you remember the first one, uh, Buzz Lightyear, he thought he was this, you know, super amazing space person. And then he realized he was a toy. And so Woody had to help him figure it out. And he realized, no, his purpose was to be a toy for Andy. Okay? And throughout those films, really, it's kind of that. It's, it's looking for this purpose. The probably one of the famous quotes that uh, Woody, the main character, the cowboy in the film, he says, "Being there for a child is the most noble thing a toy can do." Right? Being there for a child is the most noble thing a toy can do because you're a toy, right? That is what you are made for. You are made to be played with. And so you will notice, actually, many Pixar films, although they're super fun, okay, although they're super fun, a lot of them have like some serious topics as well, you know. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe the, the, the guys uh, who, who make it um, probably insert their life into it as well. So, for example, in Incredibles, right? You know the story of Incredibles? They were basically superheroes, but now they don't know what to do because they're no longer relevant, right? Superheroes were no longer wanted, so they didn't know what to do. They were no longer relevant, what is my purpose now, they were asking. Or in Cars, for example. Lightning McQueen on Cars 3. He became old, basically. He's no longer as good as he used to be. And so he had to rethink what his purpose is. And he decided to become a mentor to other cars instead. Sorry, I'm giving you a bit of a... <laughs> cartoon sermon, but you know. Uh, yeah, no, it's... it's um, but the, the, the thing that I, I want to draw out there is um, at some point in your life, we probably ask this often, what is my purpose? 
What is my purpose? And it usually comes in when a big change happens. You know, maybe a big change, you move house or you move jobs or you move church or you get married or you have kids. All of these things, all of a sudden, you know, things change and you're thinking, what is my purpose? How do I fit in now with all these changes? With COVID, of course, it changed a lot, right? Even for us as a church, all of a sudden we can't knock on people's doors and you're like, oh, what's our purpose then? You know, so it's, it's, a, it's a big question that we, we tend to ask quite a lot, actually. And often we find knowing our purpose to be difficult because we try to see the world from what we say a worm's eye view. Yeah, you, you look from where you are and you try to understand the whole world. From your own perspective. But actually knowing your purpose is not hard when you ask the person who made you. And that's what you call, you know, the bird's eye view. Looking at it from a big picture down. You know, if you take, take, take the view of life's purpose from, from God's perspective, then it becomes a bit more clearer. And today I want us to think of this word really, purpose. What is my Purpose according to my maker. And again, please do keep your Bibles open. So we will start on the first verse of our text. It says there, Jesus starts off by saying, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. You might ask, what does that have to do with my purpose in life? And again, firstly, you know, as for you to know your purpose, you really need to know God's purpose because he's the one who, who made you. Why is it that God made you, right? Again, Toy Story, the toy maker, his purpose is to be um, enjoyed by children, okay? Um, my, as you know, my washing machine broke down recently. And the purpose of that washing machine was to wash my clothes. And I was going to get rid of it, but thankfully it got fixed. So, so now it's back to doing its purpose. And Jesus here um, uses the metaphor or illustration of a vine dresser, okay? And he says that God is the vine dresser, as in God made the world. God made the world really for his purpose, for his glory. In the same way that a vine dresser makes a vineyard so that he can produce grapes, God made the world. So that he can fill the whole earth with his glory. And it says here that Jesus is the true vine. In this, in this sentence, Jesus says that God made a vineyard and Jesus is the true vine he planted. Why true, you might say? Why, why true? What does Jesus mean by the word true? Well, of course, if he says he's the true vine, then there must have been other vines, Right? Um, if, if he's the true vine. And as you know, the story of the world, God made the world, he started it off, and then he planted the garden, right? He planted the garden of Eden. God prepared the garden in the beginning, and he made Adam and Eve, and he says, go, you know, be my image bearers, as in, you know, reflect my glory all throughout the earth. Be my image bearers, reflect my glory. But sin entered the world, and then over time, God decides to start again, and he picks up Noah. He plucks out Noah, and he starts again, right? Funny enough, 
um, as soon as the flood is finished, God again gives the command, you know, go fill the earth to Noah. And uh, Noah decides to plant a vineyard first, but then he gets drunk. And then you realize, ah, this is not going to go well, right? And so time passes again. God plucks out Abraham, who had the son Isaac, who had the son Jacob. And then from there, the nation of Israel is born. And in the Old Testament, God referred to Israel as his vine. That means God chose Israel to be the center of his plan. He planted Israel and chose Israel for Israel to give him glory. And so in terms of history, really you see the the peak of Israel during the time of Solomon. Because during the time of Solomon, people went to Israel and they were giving glory to God. You know, the famous story of the Queen of Sheba coming to see Solomon. and, And they're like, wow, you know. Solomon, you're so wise and your God is so amazing. That was the situation uh, back in Solomon's day. However, you know, it went down again, right? And then judgment came upon them. Israel failed to be a fruit-bearing vine, really. After Solomon's time, it kind of went downhill. And we see that in a prophecy, by the prophet Isaiah. You don't have to turn to this. I'll read it to you. But for your notes, you can write it down. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 1 to 7. And I think it's just a good reference to, to you know, um, just to say that here is where God um, refers to Israel as his vine, as his vineyard. And it says here, Isaiah chapter 5 verse 1 to 7, it says this. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. And he hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hurt. And briars and thorns shall grow up. I also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So Israel, God's vine, failed. God planted him to be his vine, to give glory to his name. But as you can see in that text, they failed. And so God in the Old Testament says, since Israel, his vine, failed to bear good fruit, he will remove them. And coming now to the New Testament, Jesus says he is the true vine. I am the true vine. He is referring to himself. As that fulfillment to God's purpose, yeah? He is the vine who will bear fruit. Jesus is the one who is at the center of God's plan, if you like. He is the center of God's plan. Okay, you might say, okay, I get it. Uh, Jesus is the vine, okay? He is the center of God's plan. And God is the vine dresser. God is the one who owns the world and he made the world. That's verse 1. And you might ask, where am I in the picture? What's my purpose? 
If God made the world and Jesus is the center of his plan, where am I in this picture? What's my purpose? Your purpose is there in verse 2. So look with me on verse 2 of our text. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So your purpose in life is to bear fruit for the vine dresser. You are the branch. As you can see from verse 2, there's two branches, right? You're either a branch that God takes away for not bearing fruit, or you are a branch that God prunes to bear more fruit. Therefore, the question that you need to ask yourself is this, which branch am I? Right? Which branch am I? Am I the branch that God removes from the vine because I am not fulfilling my purpose to bear fruit? Or am I the branch that God prints to cause me to bear fruit? If you are not bothered about uh, verse 2, then um, you should be. Especially when you are not living your life according to God's purposes. However, if you're asking yourself this question and you're like, Oh dear me, you know, am I, am I that branch maybe that... Uh, God takes away. I'm slightly concerned about this. You know, you think, well, the chances are you are a fruit-bearing branch, right? Because that's, that's, the, that's the correct response. You, you do want to be that fruit-bearing branch. And the context of our passage really is that Jesus speaks to the, these words to his disciples, okay? This is not like, you know, he's speaking it to a crowd or whatnot. He's speaking this to his disciples just before he leaves them to be crucified and goes to heaven. He speaks this word to his disciples. So the people he's talking to are Christians. And he probably has Judas in mind when he, he is talking to them about branches that fall away. Because the, the context is that um, just before Jesus was crucified, they went to the upper room, you know, and Jesus kicks out Judas and then... Jesus speaks to his disciples. Maybe he said it there or maybe they went out. I don't know. But the point is, it was just Jesus and his disciples. And, and he speaks this. And he says on verse 3, Jesus says to, on verse 3, just to reassure his disciples, he says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So Jesus definitely knows that, you know, Christians tend to be a bit overly sensitive, you know, sometimes. But Jesus Jesus knows that. And so he says, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Jesus reassures them. And church, if you call yourself a Christian and you believe and trust in Jesus, I, I just want to reassure you, you know, that's, that's the, 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 the same words Jesus is saying to his disciples. He tells them that you are clean. If you are following Jesus, then you are clean. That means Jesus has prepared you to bear fruit. Um, when I was preparing for this sermon, I thought, you know what? I'll watch a YouTube video on um, vine dressing, just, just so I get my facts straight. Um, but it's, it's good because I, I planted tomatoes before, okay? So I thought, oh, it must be the same thing, right? You know, when you're pruning tomatoes, it's the same thing. You take out the flower, you take the sides. And it's kind of the same thing, really. But uh, when, when you're vine dressing, how it works is that you've got this vine, and then, of course, it's got multiple branches. And what the vine dresser does, 
he picks the two most healthiest ones, okay? And then he ties them, he, he splits them and he ties them onto the line so that it helps them grow, okay? And then he cuts off all the other bits. And uh, that's, uh, that's basically how he prunes it or cleans it. And that, that probably is what Jesus had, had in mind here when he said, already you were clean. So, but, you know, when, when Jesus speaks the gospel, he says, you know, that, that, that cleanses you. But cleaning is, is not a one-time thing, right? Pruning or cleaning is not a one-time thing. It's, it's like a, it's, it's something you do regularly when you prepare for the fruit-bearing season, isn't it? I'm not going to delve into too much detail on pruning, on this idea of pruning, but uh, the, the thing that I just want to highlight is that pruning is to cause someone to bear fruit through suffering and trials. Okay, Pruning is to cause someone to bear fruit through suffering and trials. Because when you prune a branch, it bleeds, right? But in the long term... Strengthens the branch so that it can bear more fruit. And, and the thing that I just want to point out here is that God's purpose for your life is not about giving you a happy, stress-free life. Okay? That's not what Christianity is about. Because uh, as you can see in this text, pruning is part of the process. The The... The goal is to bear fruit, okay? It's not about comfort or being comfortable as such. It is to bear fruit. As the apostle puts it in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, he says, We rejoice in our suffering, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So what is God's purpose for you? What is the purpose of your life? You might ask, if it's not happiness, if it's not being stress-free, what is it? And I'm sure you already know, as we have been talking, our purpose is to bear fruit. Okay? Our purpose is to bear fruit. Now, if we relate that to the Old Testament passage, to bear fruit is to give glory to God. It is to live life that points to God and makes people think, wow, What an amazing God you have. A bit like during the time of Solomon at the pinnacle of Israel. People came to Solomon and they think, wow, what an amazing God you have. You know, they didn't say, wow, Solomon, you're so great. You know, they knew he was wise, but no, their their response wasn't like that. It was like, wow, Solomon, you're so wise, but your God is so amazing. You know, (laughs) so that that really is... um, the purpose, right? It's, it's to bear fruit. It's to bring glory to God. The next thing Jesus talks about is how do we bear fruit? Okay, how do we bear fruit? So if we know that our purpose is to bear fruit, how do we bear fruit? Let's read the next verses and pick it up on verse 4. It says there on verse 4 and verse 5, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So how do we bear fruit? Jesus says that we bear fruit by abiding in Jesus. Jesus says there in the text that without him, we can do nothing to produce fruit. Without Jesus, we can do nothing to produce fruit. If you imagine the picture of the vine for a moment and try to understand what Jesus is trying to say here, right? The vine. Picture the vine for a moment. The vine is the one planted to the ground, right? He's planted to the ground. The vine is the one that gets all the nutrition in the ground. Without the vine, what happened to the branches? If you cut off the vine, what happens to the branches? They die, right? Because the branches rely on the vine, right? The vine is the one that is providing nutrition, okay? The vine is the one providing nourishment. However, what happens when you prune off the branches? Yeah, it bears fruit. Or, yeah, it bears fruit and and the vine just produces more branches, right? It just grows another one. And this is really something that um, I think sometimes we need to hear and accept You know, Jesus does not need us, but we need him. Yeah, Jesus does not need us, but we need him. Sometimes we think that we are the vine, don't we? That um, somehow the church will not run if we do not exist. That somehow our family will collapse if we do not do two jobs. That somehow our workplace will crumble if we don't work late and stay a bit longer. Sometimes we behave like we are the vine holding things together, but we are not. That is not our purpose. God has never called you to be the vine. You are called to be the branch and your job is to bear fruit. There is a kid song by Colin Buchanan that we love to listen to in our family. Um, And it goes like this. You are not the boss, uh-uh. Emily is not the boss, uh-uh. J- James is not the boss, uh-uh. And then you put your name in it and you say, Kenny is not the boss, uh-uh. And usually when I say that, the kids say it really loudly, like, you know, Kenny is not the boss, uh-uh. Jesus is the boss, guys. Jesus is the mighty, mighty king, you know. So it's, 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 it's a simple song, but, you know, the... the the, the point that I want us to understand is this. Jesus is the vine. He is the one that holds everything together. He is the one that provides strength and nutrition to the branches so that they can bear fruit. He is the one that holds strong to the ground so that when the storm comes, we are not blown away. He is the vine. Okay? He is the center of God's plan. And we are the branches. Our lives are meant to revolve around Jesus, to be abiding in Jesus. And many Christians, it's quite sad, you know, but they they live their lives forgetting that Jesus is the vine. They think that they can do everything by themselves. And if they just work a a little harder, 
you know, if they focus hard enough on what they are trying to do, then they will go far in life. Or some people are so independent that they think they don't need anybody, not even Jesus. Clearly, that is the wrong view, okay? That is the wrong view of life according to Jesus in this text. Jesus says that he is the vine and we need to abide in him. That is where fruitfulness comes from. That is how we become winners, another term, or successful to use worldly terms, right? That is how we fulfill our purpose in life. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. Some might say, well, if that's the case, I'll do nothing then. Right? (laughs) If that's the case, I'll do nothing then. Or on the other end of the extreme, you might say, "Uh, that's where you're wrong, you know. My life is just great. Thank you very much, Jesus. I don't need you. I want to live my own life, my own way. I'm so close to reaching my dreams and you're just on the way. Is that okay? Let's find out. Let's read the next verse. Verse 6, Jesus says this. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burnt. Judgment faces those who do not abide in Jesus. And if you think about it from, you know, the the vine dresser's perspective, it makes sense, right? Think about it from the vine dresser's perspective. If you're a vine dresser, you want fruit from your vineyard, right? If you're a vine dresser, if you may, if you plant a tomato plant or you plant any type of plant that bears fruit, what you want for it to do is to produce fruit. Right? It makes sense. And if a branch is dead because it refuses to abide in the vine, wanting to do its own thing, I mean, you don't even need to remove it because it goes away by itself. (laughs) What's the point of having a dead branch that does not bear fruit, right? If you do not abide in the vine, then you wither and are thrown into the fire. It's a scary idea to think that you can just live your life your own way without Jesus. You need to be careful if you're all about chasing dreams, yeah? If you're all about chasing dreams, but that dream is taking you away from Jesus, then you will wither and die. Maybe reading this text made you realize that you have not given Jesus a thought recently. You know, maybe Jesus is using this text to tell you to turn back to him. Stop chasing those things, you know, those things that's taking you away from Jesus. There is no joy there. There is no purpose. There is no life there. They only bring death. You will not find fruitfulness there. If you want to have a fruitful life, then you need to stick with Jesus. He will cause you to flourish and grow and bear fruit. And Jesus reassures us in verse 7. 
He says, if you abide in me, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Okay? That's the promise that Jesus gives. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Your fulfillment is in Jesus. I remember when we first became Christians and um, we, we um, Gemma and I, when we started going to church and stuff like that and we became Christians and I started to take the, the Bible more seriously, church more seriously and so on and I was doing this immoral job. So I was basically uh, working for this uh, kind of uh, sex chat, okay? So um, it, was, it, was, it was immoral, and I was thinking there, you know what? The Lord really doesn't want me to be doing this job, right? But I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to um, lose any income or whatever, because how am I going to feed my family? But uh, the Lord gave me the strength to quit. So I quit. And the Lord provided a new job, which, uh, funny enough, pays better, you know? <laughs> It's amazing, isn't it? Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The promise of Jesus is there that when we abide in him, he will cause his words to abide in us. And he will show us through prayer what we need and he will answer that prayer. Okay? And when our prayers, when we pray and our, our prayers are caused by our obedience towards Jesus. We pray confidently knowing that God will answer our prayer. We take risks for Jesus because we're confident. You know, you say, this is what God has called me to do. So I'm going to take this risk. And God answers our prayers. And when he does, as verse 8 puts it, the next verse after, he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. In other words, when we abide in Jesus, we pray for the right things. When we pray for the right things, our prayers are answered, whatever those may be. And when our prayers are answered, God is glorified. Because we praise God, right? We praise God. God, thank you so much for answering my prayer. And when God answers our prayers, we become more confident that abiding in Jesus is the right thing to do. So we become his disciples. We follow him more and more and more. And the virtuous cycle of blessing goes round and round like this. You know, you you experience answered prayer and then you praise God, you know, for answering your prayer and then you follow Jesus more and then the cycle keeps going and going and going. But you will never experience that unless you abide in Jesus. Okay? 
So what does it mean exactly to abide in Jesus? What does it mean to abide in Jesus? Let's have a look, shall we? Let's keep reading. On verse 9, Jesus gives us an explanation in verse 9 and 10. Jesus says this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Jesus is saying that to abide in Jesus is to keep his commandments, just as he kept his Father's commandments. Do you see that? So Jesus says that to abide in Jesus is to keep his commandments. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. I hope you see that, right? So Jesus is saying you abide in me by obeying. Okay? So what commandment is it that Jesus is talking about here? In this verse, he is not being very specific. He just says that you will abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments. So it seems that Jesus is saying that to abide in him is to obey him in the same way he obeyed the Father, right? That's why... We read and study the Bible. That's why we preach the Bible, because we want to abide in Jesus. At this point, you might say to yourself, this is too much. How can I do this? You know, if we think about well, the, the, how did Jesus obey his father, right? Well, he, he basically obe- obeyed the whole Bible, right? <laughs> This is too much. You know, you might just well say, you might, I'm going to throw the towel, you know, and say, I am not Jesus. I cannot do this. Firstly, let me just say that I am not making this stuff up. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's the first point that I want to make. I mean, you, we, we all have the Bible right in front of us. And I hope you see that I'm just basically repeating what Jesus is saying and we're reading it together slowly, okay? <laughs> I'm not even uh, making anything up. He's saying that we are called to obey Jesus in the same way that Jesus obeyed God. And that is what it means to abide. Of course, uh, it's not possible to obey perfectly, but the point here is that the standard, okay, the standard is set by Jesus. Yeah, the standard is set by Jesus. That means we cannot just say that Jesus is just a Sunday thing, you know, that we just pick and choose when we choose to obey Jesus, right? You don't just turn up on a Sunday and you're like, that's my obedience done. I'm good to go, right? That is not how it works. We obey Jesus for the rest of the week as well. Everything matters to God. Jesus says that obedience is something we practice in our 
whole of our lives. It's not just a Sunday thing, okay? We don't just obey Jesus in relation to turning up to church. We obey Jesus as part of raising our children or loving our spouse or doing our work diligently even when our boss is not watching. You know, a lot of us are working from home during this COVID. So it's, re- it's important to, to remember that God cares about that stuff. Being a good neighbor and citizen by obeying the government rules, that matters to God. Everything matters to Jesus and he has called us to obedience. He has set the standard, okay? Not a lower standard for you. He has set a standard. Sure, you can't meet all of it, but you have to have the right attitude because that is what Jesus is asking us to do. Secondly, I want you to look at the next verse, okay? Verse 11. Because Jesus says here, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Sometimes we think of obedience like it is a bad thing. But Jesus says here that true joy comes from obeying Jesus. True joy comes from obeying Jesus. And here's my takeaway point for each of you. I mean, we will pick this up again next Sunday. um, And we will look at uh, verse 12 to to 17. But there's just a few takeaway points that I'd I'd like to mention. Because I do realize, you know, that everyone's situation is different. Okay, everyone's situation is different. And uh, obedience will look different to some people, okay? And what I would say is that if you're that type of Christian who is, you know, feeling tired but satisfied, I just want to encourage you, you know, to persevere in the faith because you are doing the right thing. I, you know, I, I hear sometimes in our prayers, people say, oh, praise God, you know, God gave me strength for doing this, you know, oh, praise God, because God gave me the opportunity for this. You know, persevere. I encourage you to persevere in the faith, because that really is what, what obedience looks like. It is tiring, but at the same time, you know, when I hear those words, I hear words of satisfaction from people. When they say, oh, praise God, that God really allowed me to do that. I was tired, but, you know, God gave me the strength. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it? That is, you know, that right there is the joy that Jesus is talking about. When you feel that pain, but you have that joy at the same time, and you're like that satisfaction. You know, you're, I don't know, maybe when you guys used to run around doors knocking on people, you, you knocked on a hundred doors and you sit down, you're like, whoa, I'm exhausted. But you're like, wow, you know, I can't believe I just did that. Thank God for the strength, right? That. <laughs> no, but that's great. Those, you know, that, that is the joy of, you know, being fruitful. You know, it's wonderful, right? Abide in Jesus. Continue and serve and persevere, you know. And, and to some of us. It feels really busy, right? But things are just joyless, prayerless, and fruitless. That's not the right obedience, friends. 
Because look here, the obedience that Jesus talks about is, is, is filled with answered prayer. It's filled with joy. It's, it's filled with fruit. Maybe for those people, it's time to slow down. Just stop what you're doing and just listen to Jesus for a moment, you know. Because it might just be you're not actually listening to Jesus. You're just listening to yourself. Just stop for a moment. A bit like Mary and Martha. Jesus says, you know what, just just sit and listen for a moment. Just go back to basics and, and, you know, go back and obeying Jesus in that way. And there will be some who are drifting away. Or what I like to say, the people who likes to stay on the sideline. You know, the people who wants to warm the bench. Can I just say that you will never find your purpose away from Jesus or staying still. You will never find joy there. You will never find fruitfulness there. Where you find purpose, where you find joy, where you find fruitfulness is when you abide in Jesus. And maybe to those folks, it's time to come home. You know, come to church on Sunday. Come and join a small group. Bubble up with a Christian, you know. Get back to that Christian routine. Repent and start to be Jesus again. And if you feel like, you know what, I'm not really doing much. Maybe it's time, you know, to start thinking, what can I do to serve? Jesus obeyed God and that brought him joy. And he's saying that he wants the same thing for us. Abide in Jesus and he will give you a joyful, fruitful and purposeful life. We will close for now and we will continue next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you Lord again for this wonderful passage of uh, Jesus telling us that he's the vine and we are the branches and that we ought to abide in him. Help us all, Lord, to abide in Jesus by just taking our time and listening to him speak, telling us what to do, and obeying his word. Amen. Amen.